Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection? And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us! <laughs> we both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, that invite magic and mystery into our lives. I think that science fiction and fantasy and science books rule. <laughs> Yuck. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves in space operas. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read that she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll find out. So this week's, this month's like, oh, we should yeah. do this weekly. No, 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 no. No, no, no. no. Too much. <laughs> we need lives outside of work <laughs> every once in a while. This month's selection was one of my picks. And I debated this one for a little while. The author is Mary Roach, and she has written a number of books that I have enjoyed equally. Mm -hmm. And we ended up reading her first book, the first book that she published back in 2003. And I hope that I didn't freak Christine out or scar her for life with this book because the topic is very specific. So our book this month is called Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. And I would like to go on record as saying that even though I am probably the person I know that is the most easily grossed out with stuff, I managed to not pass out during any of this book. I'm so that is a huge compliment to Mary Roach. I am so proud of you. Thank you. I am too. I, I did want to follow you around with a pillow just in case you toppled over at any point in time. I think Christine has mentioned on other podcasts, she, she listens to books and mm -hmm. she'll do it while she's gardening or creating art or other wonderful things. And I had this picture in my head after we selected this book that she'd be going out about her business, washing dishes or something, <laughs> and she'd get to a particularly... Um, gory but factual part mm -hmm. and just slowly to the right topple over. Well, that's only because you haven't seen me do it. I go down like a ton of bricks. There's nothing <laughs> slow about it. So, Well, then my pillow wouldn't have helped anyway. True. <laughs> so I, I decided on this book because I thought it was really um, an exemplar example of her writing style. Mm -hmm. It's the first book she did and she was really true to to what she has seen in, in her following books. So let me tell you a little bit about her because mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. First, she's our first female author on this podcast. Yay, Mary. I know. I'm not quite sure how we managed this. We did a lot of men. We did a lot of British authors and finally said, we need a lady, mm -hmm. lady author. Um, she worked prior to becoming a novelist as a publicist, as a copy editor. Um, she lived back in my home area. She was in San Francisco. She did PR for the San Francisco Zoo, which I thought huh. was a really cool job. Mm -hmm. But then it must also be a really weird job, like get all kinds of animal questions that you have no idea about the answer to. <laughs> um, she was a journalist for a long time. And part of what she loved about being a journalist was going out and exploring new places. Mm -hmm. So she found herself going concentrically bigger circles around the globe. And one of her quotes was, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, she had been to Antarctica three times and decided that if she couldn't find anything new that far away, she should try and look for things new in the everyday world around her. Hmm. I thought that was really interesting. She seems unusually curious. 
like I mean that in a good way. I mean that like as a as a res- sign of respect. I think she's incredibly curious and she digs really deeply into stuff. She's not satisfied with just the um, top layer. Agreed. You know I love quotes, so I went yes. and looked for more quotes. And this one also tickled my funny bone. So this one I have the direct quote from. Uh, she said, I had a bike accident a couple of years ago and went to the emergency room, and I had to have a gash sewn up. And I, being the kind of person that I am, was fascinated and watching to the extent that the doctor turned to me and said, do you want to do a couple of stitches? You seem very interested. Oh, my God. Just <laughs> listening to this, I'm getting queasy. Oh, no. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you some more about what a wonderful author she is. Please do. Bring the equilibrium back. <laughs> I, I do not think I would want to sew up my own gashes no, either. No, But th- that is... That seems to be her research style. Yes. So her degree is in psychology, which I think plays a lot into mm. her writing style as well. But she almost entirely writes about science at this point, her mm-hmm. books. So this first book was about human bodies after the spirit or whatever you believe has passed out of them. Her second book was called Spook, and it's about different iterations and beliefs about the afterlife. She's written about um, the science of the military and how mm. we move people around in the art of warfare and how we protect them. She wrote um, Bonk, which is all about sex. Um, Gulp. Gulp, which is about, I think officially it's about the gastrointestinal tube system, but it's really about how we relate to food and what happens to food through our body and how it passes out of us. (laughs) So she's she's got a lot of really interesting things. And then she's personally interested in space travel. (laughs) So she wrote a book called Packing for Mars, which is all about how we're getting people into space. Hmm. Yes. So she's just she's a fascinating person. She's won a couple of awards, and none of the really huge ones that we've talked about with previous authors, but she's just got a really cool background. I found, I've read almost all of her books, and I find that her writing style is kind of that dry humor mm-hmm. with that really deep research vibe that I like as a librarian. And she's usually trying to take a topic that people don't think about that often yeah. and make it accessible. Yeah. Even if you didn't know you wanted to read about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel less queasy now? Sure. Are you ready to dive in? Ew. That's oh. kind of a yucky. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Talk to me about dead people. Oh. Well, let me give you another quote from her to start with. Okay. Prepare yourself, listeners. If you are also someone who does not enjoy blood, gore, bodies, all, all the things that are involved in this topic, you may want to skip this podcast and wait for the next one because it's not going to get any better. Well, but I have to say that that as as the resident um, wimp, if I could get through it, I think anybody could. That's true. So she starts off and um, one of the quotes that I enjoyed the most was the starter for a chapter. And it said, uh, the human head is of the same approximate size and weight as a roaster chicken. (laughs) I had never before had the occasion to make that comparison, Mm -hmm. for never before today had I seen a head in a roasting pan. Ew. Uh Uh-huh. So her writing style is not overly gory. She's not talking about, like, stuff, gross stuff. She's just trying to give you this really strong mental image. Her prerogative when she's researching a book is she goes back and she looks at the history of something so she can give you a really strong background on it. And then she relates it to current research and data. And then she actually goes out herself and does field research. Mm -hmm. So the first chapter in this book um, is all about uh, surgical uses Mm -hmm. for 
cadavers and how scientists and doctors use these specimens to help them research and practice so that when they come to you as a live person, they're ready to go. <laughs> um, which, when you think about it, that's something you really want them to do. You don't yes. want to be the person where they come in and go, what's this scalpel? How does that work? <laughs> You're kind of squishy here. I wonder what will happen if I cut into you. <laughs> right? So the fact that, you know, people have willed their bodies to science programs enables scientists and doctors to practice their skills, to learn new techniques, to do testing that you would never think to do on a live person because it's not ethical. Um, it it gives all of us as part of the living community the opportunity to benefit from those skills. So she walks in on this surgical seminar for doctors that were practicing facelifts, I think. Yeah, this part was actually kind of gross to me. Yeah, I'm not going to when I say kind of, I mean a lot. <laughs> well, I won't get into too many of the details about that. But the, the book's got – each chapter in the book is about a different type of use. Mm -hmm. So they talk about surgery. They talk about – um, uses of cadavers for CSI and body farm efforts, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, crash test dummies, mm -hmm. um, ballistics, ballistics, which that was a fascinating but yep. really gross chapter too. Agreed. Um, organ donation. Mm -hmm. um, there's just this whole wide range of interesting topics that if I was sitting on my own, I never would have picked it up. Like I'm not mm -hmm. going to go read an online article about injury analysis and impact tolerance for plane crashes. That's just not a topic that I go, right. wow, that's exciting. But it was fascinating. It was fascinating. And it gives closure to the people who are surviving a plane crash to know like was this just a freak accident or was it a, a terrorist attack or yes. a, you know, a malicious – something, it gives them some closure. So I think there's a, a lot of value to that. Yeah. One of the other brief quotes that she wrote that I liked is, uh, death, it doesn't have to be boring. <laughs> because you can, you know, everyone's got different belief systems and that everybody gets to have their own belief system. But if you're not in your body anymore, what can that do to be of value if it doesn't conflict with your religious beliefs? Would you want to donate your body? Would you want to... Um, be buried in a casket. Right. They have a chapter on composting, which I don't want to talk about. That was too much for me. Oh, I love that part. That was <laughs> no, like the really? most redeeming part of the book to me. Oh, you talk about it then. <laughs> Tell me about composting. Well, you know, you go back and then you enrich the soil and then something great grows from you. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So how about this? My favorite quote from the book, I think, is the very beginning when she says, this is a book about notable achievements made while dead. <laughs> So I think that's a kind of encapsulates her humor, too, because she's, like you said, very dry. She is. I, I wrote down a couple of things that I thought were particularly funny, um, because when you have a topic that this is this hefty, mm -hmm. you need to be able to have that levity in there right. because we've, we've all got people in our family that have passed away. Sure. And she does make a very clear distinction at the start of the book about the difference between death and dying, mm -hmm. because dying is an emotional topic. It is personal. It hurts. Mm -hmm. But death is not the same as dying. So what can you do after the dying has passed? Right. But when you have a topic like that, that it hits so many people so far in the gut, how do you lighten it up a little bit? Mm -hmm. So she, <laughs> she included as a preface to each of the chapters a little old black and white picture. Mm -hmm. I don't. You read it or you listened I to listened, it. I listened, yeah. So did you have a chance to see the pictures in I there? I did. 
They're so funny. <laughs> so, you know, like there's a, um, there's a chapter on crash test dummies, mm-hmm. and the picture in the intro is this huge um, pipe mm-hmm. that like a car is flying through, and it looks like the A-Team right. or um, what's the one where the guy slides across the roof? Oh, Mission Impossible? Maybe. There's, there may be lots of ones where they slide across the roof. I was thinking okay. about the one that's set in the south, and the girl wears short shorts. Um, oh, Oh, no. Okay. What You're thinking of Dukes of Hazard. I am thinking of Dukes of Hazard. Thank you. Not Mission Impossible. Super close, though. Huh. <laughs> but not even at all. Nope. But it reminded me of that. Like, they would be flying through that tunnel. Oh, so yes. It gives you these funny little visceral moments where you go, oh, okay, I know what I'm getting into. And then you read it, and it is not that it's at all. It's not that at all. <laughs> um, she... Um, she tries to personalize it a lot, too. So when she's talking about the cadavers, you... You try not to personalize it. She mm-hmm. talks a lot about the objectification of it that mm-hmm. doctors do so that they don't get attached. And she does that as well. So she talks about um, like Mr. H and mm-hmm. this patient and this and that and the other. But the actual live humans in her books, she has really descriptive characteristics for. She talks about a man who's got a shrubbery of chest hair and, <laughs> um, you know, the personality quirks of the people she's with. And it just it, it makes them even more real and live. As opposed. Absolutely. And I was really struck. She she interviews a guy that does um, investigations for um, plane crashes. And I think all of the people in the book that she talks to are very human and she does a really nice job of showing their compassion. Agreed. But I think the guy, he, the guy that did the um, – Hannigan was his name? I don't remember what his name was. Um, it started with an H, though. I think you're right. Yeah. And he – I thought he was incredibly – appealing and compassionate and yet was able to be really um, clinical in his um, work. But it was clear that he was doing this because it was a mission because it helped the living. This this was not just a scientific endeavor for him. Agreed. And there were a couple of people like that. When there was the chapter on the the body farm Mm -hmm. and the body farm's use is all for police and procedural pieces. Mm -hmm. So... They're trying to figure out if somebody's been murdered, these cadavers have the ability to help them identify how long ago and where and have they been moved. And it sounds so, so gross. Because they're testing the decomposition of a a body outside. Yeah. But they were talking about the main doctor there. His name was Arpad, I Mm -hmm. think. And how he was so honest about Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to see these people as they're going back to the earth, but how much value there is to it for the living and mm-hmm. for the families of the people who have been targeted and are no longer with us. And the, the other thing I was struck by is how much gratitude the people who are, for lack of a better word, using or working with the cadavers mm-hmm. um, have toward the cadavers. They are truly grateful and truly um, respectful and not dismissive or like naming them things that are, you know, Oscar mm-hmm. Mayer or some kind of like weird. Yeah. There's not that kind of stereotype, which I would think that people mm-hmm. in an anatomy class might tend to be a little dismissive. Turns out they're not like that. They're very, yeah. very, very grateful and understand that this was a gift. So part of what she does is she weaves in the history. So mm-hmm. she might talk about there was a whole chapter on body snatching and about the needs. <laughs> well, it is. It's really, really gross and it's disrespectful to the people who have opted not to give their bodies to science. Right. But back in the 17 and 1800s, uh, in England, I think they were specifically talking about because we always go back to England. Of we course, can't we get away do. From it. that's weird. The 
the law at the time was that anatomists and scientists could only use the cadavers of um, criminals that mm -hmm. had been executed by the state. And apparently there just weren't enough of them. <laughs> so they, they have this whole chapter on the economics of body snatching, which is, is horrifying. But it's really interesting to hear that piece and figure out how it ties into the current day mm -hmm. because they were not respectful right. of, of, the right. of the decedents. Right. Um, you know, they were talking about how some of these body snatcher groups would go 300 plus bodies a year, Ugh. which is, is horrifying. Right. And they did not treat them with respect. They were talking about boxing them up in crates and trying to get them past um, – Inspectors. Not, not customs, yeah. but inspectors. Right. So I was heartened to hear that so much is done now to provide people with that dignity in death. And the other thing that was interesting to me was some of the researchers really would like to tell the families what they've done mm -hmm. with um, the donations. But they've realized that the families honestly just don't want to know. Yeah. Because even when it's really important research and they get useful data that's going to help the rest of humanity – it's too hard to hear that that's how your loved one has been used. And mm -hmm. like one of the things that was interesting to me was um, testing body armor because they could figure out, okay, yeah, the body armor stops the bullet, but how much bruising and does it break a rib? And um, what does it do to your lung even if it doesn't pierce the body armor because there's still this huge impact? And I just had never thought about that mm -hmm. about – because, of course, you don't want – your first test of the body armor to be out in the battlefield. <laughs> Which it so often is. Yeah. They talked about, I think, in Vietnam. Yeah. They tested new vests and they gave 6,000 soldiers the vests and 6,000 the old vest and just saw what happens. Yuck. Which is live testing. It is so much more ethically perilous. Sure. Um, there was so many moments of fascinating data in here. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about the vests, um, they talked at one point about they were doing the crash testing. Yeah. And they were trying to test... Um, if if there's a compression on your chest, how much can it compress in before something is pierced? Right. And they ended up saying two and three quarter inches. Would never have known that. Right. Um, well, the other thing that I learned, I hope you've learned it as well, and <laughs> I'm going to tell anybody who's listening, both of our listeners, <laughs> if you are ever going to be bashed in the ribs, turn so it hits you straight on because apparently that's the direction that your ribs want to have a little give. Yep. But if you get hit in the side... All bad things happen. Yeah. It, there were so many data points in here that didn't have anything to do with cadavers or corpses that were just um, – some of them were fascinating. Some of them were horrifying. <laughs> well, there was a section on plane crashes. Yeah. And they were talking about testing new seatbelts and airbags right. for, for planes. And they had quantified the value of a human life right. at $2.7 million. And then they had quantified how much it would cost to add uh, airbags or seatbelts. And this was 2003 or a little earlier when she wrote right. the book. And it would have cost them $600 plus million dollars right. to save 15 lives over the course of time. And it was not cost effective. Right. So they did not do it. Right. And that's – that one just makes me sad. That yep. that's, that's economics. That is economics. And it is what it is. OK. So remember when – we don't talk about the books before we do the podcast, but I did tell you a week or so ago that I was super mad at you for making me read this book, uh -huh. and you were interested uh -huh. in why. Well, she told me that. She, normally, we don't talk about it, and she said, I'm mad. And I said, well, are you mad because you waited so long to read this author and you've missed 10 years of joy? And she said, no. So she wouldn't tell me why she was mad. I You're going to tell me now? I'm ready. I was very angry because as much respect as she dealt with with the human aspect – 
she's very flip and dismissive about pain and suffering of animals. Agreed. And she, I mean, she's not doing the experimentation. She's just reporting on it. So it's my anger toward her is probably very misplaced. But she didn't seem to care at all that people were taking target practice at healthy, live dogs, goats, pigs, horses, guinea pigs, cows. Yeah. She was very, very flip about it. And I, um, and then this was the grossest one to mm. me. Guinea pigs were catapulted, live, healthy guinea pigs were catapulted to simulate uh, impact with water mm-hmm. in a plane crash. And she seems completely oblivious to the animal's suffering. And the researcher said that he was going to um, perform an additional experiment to find out if clothing becomes, uh, mm-hmm. if you're undressed by the water when you hit the impact. Yeah, if you're so high above the air that your clothes either fall or pushed off of you as you go down towards the water. Right. Yeah. So she writes, and I'm quoting here because it's so unpleasant, though I would like nothing better than to be able to relate to you the details of another guinea pig study, this one featuring little rodents outfitted in tiny worsted suits and 1950s dresses. In point of fact, no guinea pigs were used. So it felt to me like she was sort of celebrating the fact that he was testing Mm -hmm. these unwilling, healthy sentient beings. And I don't need that picture in my head. So I was angry about that. I don't disagree with you (laughs) because she is. And I don't know if that's her own objectification and coping method when dealing with cadavers. I'm sure some of it is just reporting. But I, I, so I take notes for these and I block them out. And one of mine is a section called things I don't want to talk about because (laughs) it's either my own holdups, my cultural norms, or that the gross meter went too high with me. Yes. And one of them was about the, the use of animals in here because Christine and I are both pretty bleeding hard around animals. Mm -hmm. We love them. We're both vegetarians. Mm -hmm. Um, And so reading some of the treatment of animals over the years in these experimentations was was rather difficult. Um, So I'm angry with you, which seems legitimate and reasonable. I accept your anger and I forgive (laughs) you for it. And I will buy you a tiny guinea pig and dress it up, but it will not be catapulted anywhere. As long as it's not alive, that's fine. Oh, Buy no. me a stuffed one. <laughs> fine, I will do that. Yeah, there were there were a couple places in this book where it's not for everybody. Right. It's definitely not for everybody. There's um there's sections in here on um um cannibalism, medical mm-hmm. cannibalism. Mm-hmm. That is way too much for me. I skimmed most of that. I okay. was not personally interested in reading it. And the section on ballistics was really compelling mm-hmm. about because they weren't actually using cadavers now. They talked about using parts and pieces previously, but not so much now. Now they use a ballistics gel that's made out of gelatin the same way you would eat gelatin. Yes, and she says it. And so if you once you're done with the ballistics testing, you'll have strong nails and hair or something, <laughs> low, whatever. Low calorie dessert later. Right. Oh, it was, oh, it was so gross. It was so gross. <laughs> and then they give a list of other things that they made out of it. Oh, that was that was beyond me. So I want to share one other thing because you know I love good vocab. You do. And this book was littered with good vocab words, some of which I had to look up. So um, they had vociferated. Mm. That was a good one. Gibbeting. 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 I did not know gibbeting before now. Mm. And we're not going to tell you what gibbeting is. You need to go look it up. It's G-I-B-B-E-T-T-I-N-G. Gibbeting. Not, don't look for pictures. You'll be grossed out. Look just for the word definition. Um, decedent. Uh, frangible. Mm. Verisimilitude. Good words. I agree. She, she's a good writer and she makes 
weird topics very interesting for sure. She does. She does. And one more funny thing before we we wrap up. Um, Not only is there fascinating tangible data, there were these fascinating kind of anecdotal stories. So there was one chapter where they were talking about all the pieces of animals that are similar to humans. Oh, right. So they were doing some testing on uh, pigs that had passed away. And apparently when a pig is sitting up in a car seat, their Mm -hmm. organs are in the same placement as a human's. Mm -hmm. So they can use that for testing. And then it goes on to say, well, humans' knees are really like black bears. And your hips are like an emu's. And um, your brain is like a Jersey cow's when it's six months old. And I... I don't. I I was very Frankenstein scared at that moment. I feel like you could make a really good children's song <laughs> about that. In fact, have that ready for us next month. I accept your challenge, <laughs> and you will regret it. That is true. Yes. I already do. Well, my last shout out is to UCFS, which was called out in this book a couple of times. The University of California, San Francisco. It um, was talked about specifically with the um, transplant section. Mm -hmm. But my father had a heart transplant at UCSF, so it was uh, lovely memories for me to reread it. It, Special personal tie. Yeah, and I think many people would find those kinds of personal ties in here because we've all had somebody that's passed away and you've had to make decisions about what's going to happen next or respect their choices on it. This one was just a a lovely moment for me, so I enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, I will say that it was not... I would never have picked it up for sure. My husband has read many of Mary Roach's other books. And so I have had the uh, pleasure of enjoying them through him. Um, But I would have not read one until now. And I... To say I enjoyed it is maybe not the right descriptor, but I'm glad to have read it. Are you going to read any of her other books? Uh, No. Oh. (laughs) Then I will pick another one for our podcast. (laughs) I will get around that. Well, I have picked one for us for next month. Yeah. And it is Underground Airlines by Ben Winters. And this is kind of a weird pick for me because it's an alternate reality, (gasps) which is not usually my gig, right? I'm usually so grounded in true reality. But the the reason that we can do, that we being me, can do (laughs) um, alternate reality is that gravity still applies. There's no magic. People are people. It's just that circumstances have changed. And um, this one is that Lincoln was shot on his way to his inauguration rather than um, later. Mm. And so the Civil War never happened. And slavery is legal in four states. And it happens in modern, modern day. I think it was written in 2016. And I think it happens in 2013, something like that. Yeah. It is incredible. It is it's fascinating. It's really well written. Um, there's so much to talk about. So even though I don't think you're going to hate it, which is generally what mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. the purpose of the podcast is. Um, it, is that the purpose of the podcast? <laughs> it's not to try and open minds no. to new genres. It's to torment each other. Exactly. Well, good. Glad we cleared that up. Yeah. So I'm a little annoyed that you're going to like it, but mm-hmm. I think it has so much really cool stuff to discuss that I can't wait to talk about it with you. I'm ready for it, and I take all credit for you being willing to read an alternative reality book. This is entirely due to this podcast. I am proud of both of us. It's 100% mm-hmm. your fault. Okay. And again, it's Underground Airlines by Ben Winters. Well, I am so jazzed for next month. Woohoo! So um, thank you for joining us for You're Making Me Read What? 
Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, <laughs> although it should have been because it was excellent, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So join us next month when we will be discussing Underground Airlines by Ben Winters. Thank you so much and keep on reading. Thank you.